My name is Alexandra Kasker. I'm from the class of 2023, and this is my leadership philosophy. Since I can remember, I've been an empath, even if I didn't know the word at the time. I was the friend who jumped around from group to group at school, who never got in trouble, and who cried a lot. Even when I made a close-knit group of friends at my new school in the third grade, I always made sure to be friendly and interact with everyone else in our class as well. I vividly remember a time when a girl came up to me and my group of friends and accused us of being a clique. I freaked. I was not part of a clique and I did not want to be seen as a mean girl who excluded others. Once I got yelled at for not eating the crust on my sandwich and I went back to my table and cried behind my lunchbox. In fourth grade, I cried almost every morning because I didn't want to leave my mom's side. There are countless examples that would easily show any Enneagram lover that I am a two through and through. This empathy is not something that I recognized fully until my high school years, where I used it and sometimes hated it more than ever before. As I took on leadership roles throughout high school, I felt the weight and pressure to make everyone happy. It was not until my senior year that I learned that my empathy would become my greatest asset in a role that had high expectations. The biggest lesson I learned from being the president of my senior class, a position that included planning and executing traditions that had been placed for that had been in place for many years, was to be open enough that everyone you lead feels like they are being heard, but also having enough control to make decisions and move things forward. In doing this, I was able to understand the needs and wants of the people I was serving while maintaining what was needed for me as a leader. This was not always easy and took a lot of trial and error. The group I was leading was one with strong wills that were not always going in the same direction. I had to learn how to manage these differences while also still getting things done. There were times when I let my guard down as a leader and was taken advantage of, and other times I took too much control and left others unhappy. I did not know how to do the one thing I wanted to do the most, please everyone. This confusion made me feel inadequate, misunderstood, and frustrated with myself and others. I felt like nobody liked me, but everyone needed me at times. This also came during a year that was already stressful, when I wanted to do nothing and everything at the same time. I felt as if it would be so much easier if someone else could be the leader so I could just follow. However, I knew deep down the pride I would feel when I had successfully led my class, a class that I loved so much at a school we all valued during a year that we would never forget. It was a balance of these styles that would prove to be successful for me as a leader and for my peers. We were able to make decisions that would allow for our senior year to be everything we wanted. This way of leading has stuck with me throughout the years as the only way that a person like myself, who feels everyone else's emotions and longs for there to be little conflict, could succeed at leading without sacrificing their own sanity. At Boston College, I was able to learn through ELP and other experiences that have brought me to these five steps I take in any leadership role in order to be successful. Number one, listening. Listening is essential to ensuring that everyone feels seen and heard. When I first started leading, I thought I had to be the loudest in the room. As an ELP member last year, I learned so much from listening to my peers and the leadership team, things that made me think deeper about what I was about to say. As a facilitator, this has been a hard lesson to relearn and reimagine in this new role. 
Silence is uncomfortable, but it also means everyone has been listening, and they are most likely reflecting. Number two, asking questions. If something is unclear, it is important to not jump to conclusions or misinterpret one's intentions or meanings. In high school, I found that most people did not want to ask questions. They immediately went to challenging or disagreeing with other people. However, I also learned that by asking questions led to a better understanding of the true meaning of what was said. A lot of times when a new idea is being presented in a meeting, there is an immediate emotional reaction. When one questions whether that idea is possible or what the intention is behind the idea, not only does it clarify things for the person asking, but it also can make the person with the idea reanalyze what they are presenting. Number three, challenge. It is always important to push those you lead to make sure they are staying on track and remembering what goal they are working towards. This has been a very important skill that has made me uncomfortable at times, but can also be the most rewarding skill to learn as a leader. A lot of times as a leader, you are presented with so much noise from those you lead that it can be hard to know what the point of the meeting or conversation even was. It can become quite clear quickly, however, when a conversation is losing focus and becoming unproductive. In those moments, a leader has to work to challenge others to remember what they are working on and for. Refocusing is challenging because sometimes it means drawing people away from something they are passionate about. Recognition that what they are saying or contributing is important, but redirection is also necessary. As a member and facilitator in ELP, I have found myself in situations when I needed to refocus either those I led or myself. I can remember a time during Sing It to the Heights planning when our team received a message from our leaders that we had to get back on track and complete the tasks in front of us while not getting distracted by the other things. In the moment, I felt bad because I hate being challenged, but once we received the feedback, we were able to refocus and get down to work with a newly imagined goal. Number four, present new ideas or synthesize others. Sometimes hearing something in a new or synthesized way will help those you lead to come to a better understanding. This is similar to asking questions, but one of the most important parts of my time as president senior year was presenting the idea of my peers back to them. I found that even if the idea we were discussing was not ever chosen, the simple act of verbalizing it as the leader made people feel seen and valued. I think it also makes a person take whatever they presented a step further and come to a deeper understanding of it. Number five, conclude. This step is sometimes the hardest because the discussions that arise out of the first four steps can go on forever. But as a leader, your job is to make sure the group you lead progresses. Again, this is the hardest part of any leadership position I've held, even the hardest part of working on a group project. Sometimes I wonder if this is especially hard for a woman leader because it requires you to upset some people people, or delegate tasks to people who might not want them. I am especially sensitive to criticism, especially from peers, but as I have grown, I have learned that being able to come to a conclusion is appreciated by those around you. It makes an abstract conversation concrete and provides tangible steps to a seemingly intangible goal. While not foolproof, these steps are part of a leadership philosophy that allows me to honor my role as leader and my empathetic heart at the same time. I believe that we all deserve to have a voice. We cannot dictate how someone feels or acts in order to make progress. 
We aren't successful as leaders until we can recognize that it is not the leader who matters, but rather the progress they make and the change they enact that is, all, that is and always should be the goal. This necessitates not the viewpoint of the one who is given the title leader, but rather the diverse and numerous viewpoints and valuable life experiences of those who are led. I believe this is the type of leadership that will result in the change that is needed. An empathetic and open-minded leadership that values the whole person and an orientation towards progress. Thank you so much, Alexandra, for sharing your leadership philosophy. I think we can all learn a lot from leading with empathy and how that can serve us and others really well. Um, so I have a few questions for you. And I think to start, I mean, this image that you paint of your childhood is really striking. And I think a lot of people can relate to it, but a lot of people may see, oh yeah, I had a person in my life that was like that. And so my question is, you know, you seem very wise beyond your years. And I'm wondering if people have ever approached you and told you, oh, you're so mature for your age, or you have this capacity for, you know, uh, being emotional and being empathetic towards others. What's your response when people tell you that you're so mature? Yeah, I think that was something I definitely heard um, as a child. And I think as a child, it's you kind of don't really understand necessarily what that means and like you understand oh maybe it's because I make good grades or maybe it's because I you know don't pull other people's hair on the playground or whatever but I think as I got older it became kind of like a it was a conflicting message in my life of like I yes I know I'm mature in the way of like I care about things that people my age might not care about as much or um, I go about things differently than people my age do and that became kind of like a point of reflection for me is do I want to be mature like is it like this kind of is ostracizing me from my peer group in a way of like I'm separate from them in some way and different from them and especially coming into college I think there's a difference in um, the types of maturity so you can be mature in emotionally and and um, like logically mature or something like that, but um, maybe not necessarily socially mature. And I think that's something that I've been struggling with and um, still struggle with in a way of like, how do I reconcile the two? And how do I recognize that the importance of being mature emotionally um, while also kind of trying to grow my um, other types of maturity in my life and um, come to a better place of reconciling those two. So the second question I have for you is about um, this step-by-step -step order you have for taking on any leadership role and how you see yourself um, being the most successful. Um, <laughs> all right, we're going to wait till that goes. <laughs> I thought it was outside. Yeah. I was like, no, that's getting close. I was like, that's going to get louder. <laughs> okay. It's okay. We'll just, I'll cut this part out. Okay. So. Great. So the second question I have for you is about the steps you take in any leadership role and how you see yourself being the most successful. Um, so in regard to this step-by-step -step order, is this a strict order or do you think the order, the process you go through can change situationally? I think it definitely can change situationally. Um, the way I kind of came to this is not, you know, when I was going through my leadership growth or whatever, um, it was not something that was like, oh, I'm going to take these steps. It wasn't something from the beginning I knew about. 
But I think looking back at it, I can kind of categorize what um, steps I took into these kind of five steps. Um, and I think the main thing that kind of prompted this was step five was like in high school when I had this leadership position as the senior class president, I needed some way to just get something done and I needed to conclude. Like that was the kind of first step that I um, recognized in my head was like, okay, how do I get us from talking about something to actually doing something? And um, being a person, as I described in my leadership philosophy, as someone who didn't like confrontation and didn't like the idea of kind of telling people what to do, um, I needed to reconcile, okay, I'm gonna be empathetic and I'm gonna do these things, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna ask questions, I'm gonna challenge people, um, and synthesize their ideas so that they do feel heard and they do feel like they're involved in the process and all those steps lead up to my ability to be like, okay, I've listened, I've heard you all, and here's what we're going to do now. And I think that's kind of how I came to these five steps, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be the same. There are going to be situations where you have to make a decision much faster. There's going to be situations where you can't leave a lot of room for listening or asking questions. And that's fine, but I think it's just knowing um, the people you're working with and just knowing your situation and figuring out how you can best lead them empathetically while also getting things done. Awesome. I think it's really helpful to know that the steps can be a little bit interchangeable yeah. and that, you know, every person is going to work a little bit differently. So that's, that's awesome. Um, my next question um, has to do with working with others. So how do you respond to resistance when people maybe push against your leadership style or you are in a situation where you have to work with a person who has a different leadership philosophy? Yeah, I think starting off with kind of the idea of people resisting your leadership style, um, I think it's important to take a step back and understand where that resistance is coming from because I think depending on your situation, um, it could be coming from a place of like constructive criticism, but it could also be just that they don't wanna listen to you and they don't like that you're the leader in the room, which is um, gonna be something that you're gonna deal with and that I know from, at least from my experiences, I had to kind of overcome the idea that I was gonna be liked by everybody. And I knew that that wasn't, I, come, I came to know that no, that that wasn't gonna be something um, for me, that not everybody is gonna like me and that's okay. Um, but I think if you gain people's respect, and I think kind of through those five steps is something that you do, You, if you show genuine interest in what they have to say and the ideas that they're presenting, even if you come to a different conclusion, there will be some solace in the fact that you listened to them and that you respected them enough to ask them questions about their ideas. Um, so I think that's important, first of all, if somebody's resisting you. Um, I think working with other people who don't have the same leadership style is kind of a recognition of what your strengths and weaknesses are and what their strengths and weaknesses are and coming together to, to leverage those um, in a way that will work best for whoever you're serving. So always keeping in mind that there are different needs for the people you're servicing and knowing when to take a step back in your own leadership style because something that you might believe would be best is not going to be best for them um, and then knowing when to step forward and be like hey i think 
you know, we should challenge people here. And um, I think just balancing those and being able to be open-minded and again, providing that respect so that then um, there's a mutual respect there that will lead to positive outcomes for the people you're leading. So my next question has to do with this idea of empathy. Um, you talk a lot about it, and I'm wondering if you could share with us what your impression of the distinction between empathy and sympathy is. Yeah, that was always something, like as a kid, you know, they teach you that, I think, in like elementary school or something, and I never really understood it. Um, and I think, as I've come to realize it, is that empathy is kind of taking sympathy a step forward but at the same time it's very distinct from it I think sympathy is has kind of a idea of pity within it it's not um, empathy is like you recognize somebody else's struggles and you're you can put yourself in their position and you can completely let down your guard and become vulnerable to the point of understanding where they are and I think sympathy is kind of like a resistance to feeling anything more than pity. Um, it's not wanting to break down those barriers between you and the other person and be in your safe bubble of, hey, well, at least I'm comfortable. This person may not be, but at least I am. And so I'm just going to say something to, you know, maybe make them feel better, but I don't really know. But I think empathy is completely breaking down those walls and being able to even just feel what they're feeling is and that's something that can come naturally to people and something that I've realized has come naturally to me is like that's something I can't help whether I like it or not but I think all of us have the capability to become empathetic um, and take our pity one step for, further into um, wanting to walk with somebody through whatever they're going with going through <laughs> Awesome. I definitely agree with those definitions. Great. Well, I can't thank you enough, Alexandra, for coming on and sharing your leadership philosophy with us. I think we can all learn a ton from leading with empathy um, and try to incorporate that into our leadership style as well. So my last question for you before you go is a BC hot take. Mm -hmm. And this one has to do a little bit more about Boston in general. So I'm wondering, where is your favorite place to visit in the city of Boston? That's a great question. I think I have to say the place I've been the most and the place I love going and keep going back to is definitely Newberry Street, which I think is classic Boston. But I love um, going with my roommates, you know, getting a coffee. They, we just tried out a new coffee place and then being able to go into all the little shops and boutiques and do a little shopping and everything. So definitely my favorite place in Boston. A great place to visit yeah. um, and I'm sure that all our listeners will definitely check out Newberry Street yeah. if they haven't already. If you need any recommendations I got him. For coffee or anything. Yeah. Well Alexandra again thank you so much for joining us thank today. Um, we have so appreciated your time. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.